Well, welcome back, everybody. My guest today is Amir Kazmi, the Chief Information and Digital Officer of WestRock, a $20 billion Fortune 200 company. In this role, he's responsible for developing and executing the global information systems, technology, and cybersecurity strategy. In addition, Amir is leading the company's digital transformation, focus on operations, as well as customer and commercial digital solutions. And we'll definitely unpack that. There's a lot, a lot going on right there. One of the important data points that has helped shape Amir as the business savvy executive he is today is the fact that one third, yeah, one third of his career has been spent in PL roles. So Amir, welcome to the podcast. And I'd love to start right there. So as you reflect back on an amazing career, what were you doing in the early days of the career that set you up to get the call for these PL roles? Dan, it's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, and I, look, I think it starts with some of the uh, opportunities I had at the very beginning of my career. I actually got started in a leadership development program at Lockheed, engineering leadership development program to be precise, and then went through uh, two additional leadership programs, mid-career and a more senior career program that took me to different parts of our nation. I worked in Washington, D.C., both at uh, government sites, uh, you know, Lockheed sites, um, New York, New York City, California, um, and worked across different business units, different divisions of Lockheed. I probably either directly reported into every major division at that point in the company, or indirectly supported, you know, programs that were in in those divisions. So everything from in IT as a PNL that was a big business unit for Lockheed at one point. Uh, we were providing IT solutions, services, including software development to various customers, government and non, to space systems company, where we were working on rockets and satellites, uh, predominantly in a lot more and exploring the deep space, you know, um, working with customers like NASA, and, uh, and then also our uh, aeronautics business. I actually didn't directly report into aeronautics, but I ended up supporting aeronautics because I reported to the corporate CTO at one point. And the point is, it's the diversity of assignments early on in my career. In fact, then my first role was writing uh, software code as a software developer um, for a commercial you know, client and a customer. And then I moved into uh, business capture assignments, both domestic and international. And so think of uh, you know, new business pursuits. And one of the things that I learned early on is you know, helping people envision what's possible when you're trying to build a new capability and the importance of just envisioning. So modeling, simulation, data science capabilities early on in my tenure. Uh, and I would say I'd be remiss if I you know, didn't touch on, but what motivated me is purpose and clarity of purpose. And we have that at West Drop, which we'll get into. And at Lockheed, it was, about, it was a science-based, national security-focused purpose. Uh, but it's those experiences, Dan, and that ultimately led to you know, R&D, to productization and commercialization, roles that I held in some of the advanced laboratories. Uh, and finally, having the privilege of spinning out and running a small startup in uh, Silicon Valley called Kuprion. And that's the you know, 10-year uh, wrap, if you would, before Westrock. I definitely want to double-click on Westrock here in a couple of minutes. And you know, I, know, I know so many amazing leaders who have come out of Lockheed. You, know, it's, uh, you see certain companies, certain cultures. You mentioned the ELDP program. You know, there's, there's some magic to that, right? There's a commitment, there's some intentionality, and uh, it works when I see people like you thriving and Speaking of Lockheed, we found one of your uh, one of your former mentors uh, 
who was thrilled to provide an, uh, a mystery question for you, Amir. So let's just jump in. And our, our, our audience loves these because it gives us a chance to learn more about you from a human level and someone who knows you well. So listen in and tell us who this is and then have fun with your question. Amir, you've had a very interesting leadership journey. Can you share with us one or two experiences or things you learned along the way that prepared you for the role that you're in today? That's Shan Cooper, Shan. Shan is uh, an amazing leader. You know, talk about the privilege of learning from the best of the best. Uh, that's where I would put Shan. And, you know, I, I often say I'm the product of many leaders taking a bet on me, Dan. And as you said, rightfully, right? So Shan is one of those leaders. I met her at Lockheed and then I've known her ever since. She has a really unique way of engaging and inspiring the team. And, you know, we talked about leading with purpose and I, and I try and model that. And that's a key learning from Shan. Now, to answer your question, I think some of the things that I would reflect back on, it's, uh, you know, again, it's the diversity of experiences and a lot of experiences, you know, that uh, I couldn't have connected the dots if I was sitting in those roles and looking forward. But now looking backwards, they're easy to connect. Uh, and I think the second thing, it's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the fact that being surrounded by great mentors, great leaders, uh, such as Shan, right, and sponsors. Uh, and finally, the third thing I think is just uh, realizing that not everything's going to go right. You know, learning from those experiences in terms of a key takeaway is not everything's going to go right. And it's determining when you need to change course versus when you need to adjust. You know, a lot of nuggets there, a lot of uh, teachings and, you know, just, it, it, you know, hits me. I, I would challenge our audience. Some, you know, people, people made bets on, on, on us along the way. And, you know, are we doing that? Are we doing that for our next generation, right? Giving them those opportunities, that mentoring, leaning in, accepting when it's messy and when, when things don't go according to plan. Uh, but look at you here. I mean, you're at a, uh, Fortune 200, actually Fortune 183, I think, uh, Westrock 20, 20 plus billion. And tell us about the company, the business. It's a fascinating company. Yeah, Dan, thanks for that. So I'll start with purpose, right? So our purpose as a company is to innovate boldly, package sustainably. And we'll unpack that in the conversation today. So Westrock, we're a global leader in sustainable packaging solutions. Uh, we also have a machinery product line that we'll touch on that really helps uh, our customers package their product at high speeds, you know, on an automated basis. We have thousands of these machines deployed around the world. So think of us as an integrated solution provider and there's uh, over 55,000 teammates around the world in the Americas, North, South, as well as Europe, Asia. Uh, and the goal, as I was mentioning, is really to offer end-to-end -end solutions to help the customers with some of the greatest challenges that they have. Uh, then even during the pandemic, we were considered essential because we provide packaging for all types of products. When you think of end markets, Dan, you know, it's everything from food to healthcare to industrials, electronics, and the list goes on. So that's what the company does. And, you know, we'll double click on the purpose of innovating boldly and packaging sustainably. But uh, I do want to highlight the focus on sustainability. A lot of what we do, the vast majority of what we do actually, Dan, is sustainable packaging. And in the world we live in today, you know, it's an increasingly important topic um, of the intent and the desire to leave the planet better than we found it. And we have a you know, meaningful set of initiatives across the board in terms of our innovation agenda. 
that is both focused on material science, how do we remove plastics from the products that we produce over time, to scope two, scope three targets that we've laid out publicly. Uh, and so it's innovating with that in mind to really solve our customer needs and challenges, uh, and also to offer sustainable packaging solutions because it matters uh, at the end of the day. We also have a recycling side of our business where we will take actually you know, over a dozen recycling facilities uh, around the country, we'll take the uh, package on the, on the back end and oftentimes we'll put it back into our own network and that enables that circularity uh, that we talk about from a sustainability perspective. So that's what the company does there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And, and you know, you mentioned essential business makes a lot of sense. FedEx is one of those too. And you made me think of the FedEx, the Fred Smith story, the founder, Back in the late 70s, you know the story. He, this is a, you know, a decade before the internet. You know, he said the data on the package is as important as what's in the package. And I'm just curious, you know, if and how that might resonate with you. Um, how are you thinking about this in your business? And maybe, you know, how it's enabling you to drive, uh, enable digital revenue. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great example. So, you know, anything that can be connected. I believe will be connected over time, right? Both in terms of the cost of connectivity, it keeps going down. Uh, and secondly, it's the ability to provide insights. The example you just gave with the founder of FedEx, Fred Smith. Um, and so the way we look at it today is, you know, we're, there are three key problems we hear from customers often. One is around uh, wanting visibility into where the product is at any given time. So just visibility on where the product is and making that a bit easier. There are many different ways to get at it, but we think we can contribute to that. And second is to raise the sustainability of packaging by providing more insights into reducing waste, but also into uh, condition tracking of the package itself. And third, I would highlight is uh, activating the brand off the package and making it you know, easier for customers to engage with the package and consumers to engage with the package. Now, why does this matter, Dan? Let's like unpack this for a moment. You know, 30, off top of my head, 32, 33%, if I remember correctly, of food in our country, but also globally, is wasted every year. And so if we can make a small dent in that, that's a meaningful contribution, again, from sustainability purposes. Also, if you look at some of the other end markets that I talked about, such as pharmaceuticals, or um, automobile parts. The safety and the efficacy of having authentic product is important. And, um, you know, the, uh, uh, what is it called? The secondary markets or the black market or, um, you know, just uh, fake products. It's, it's a big problem across many, many different markets. Everything from luxury brands that often comes to mind to the healthcare side of things to parts and automobile. So if we can enable the ability for you to have higher confidence, right, that the package is most likely not tempered with, as an example, uh, we think that that can also contribute towards those use cases. And finally, you know, I talked about raising uh, our, our customers, the privilege of working with many of the largest brands around the world to raise their connectivity back to the consumer through the package itself. And two examples then that come to mind, you know, Fast Company Magazine touched on uh, Domino's and the work we did with Domino's Pizza. This is about a year ago uh, off memory. And then uh, Greenhouse Brewer uh, Magazine touched on this about a month ago. Two different use cases. One is really around sustainability, recyclability of the pizza package. And the second one is really around 
you know, providing uh, more productivity to, uh, in this case, horticulture customer of ours that talks about the use case of connected packaging and IoT and RFID inside of their solution. Now, the pizza example, you know, I talked about food waste earlier or recyclability earlier. I don't know uh, about your house, Dan, but, uh, you know, I've got a teenager in my house. Uh, we consume a lot of pizza in this house. In fact, uh, if I remember correctly, we as Americans consume about 3 billion pizzas a year. And so that gives you a magnitude of just one end market, you know, a key end market and uh, an area where we get to uh, work with fantastic brands such as Domino's and enjoy the pizza. That's right. Uh, that's, that's a, those are incredible uh, stats. And I love the, the whole notion of helping your customers connect with their customers. And uh, you really helped us understand the different markets kind of companies that you serve. It's pretty staggering. And I know a big part of the story is innovation. And we've got a, a mystery questioner here um, who will maybe uh, kind of help us unpack that. So let's listen into this next question. What is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to leading innovation? James Dallas. Uh, James is one of a kind, Dan. I, and I know you know James. I do. I do know James very well. I, I can't say his name without saying the great James Dallas. <laughs> He's a thought leader. And you know, if you want to learn about leading change effectively, in fact, his book is widely circulated in our company, especially within our uh, technology organization. Uh, and I would highly encourage your audience to uh, grab a copy of his book on leading change. And as I said, James has helped our team, right, embedding some of his best practices on change management. Uh, and I think the advice I would share, Dan, on, on James's question is, is the willingness to be criticized before being recognized or before being you know, celebrated as a team and as an individual, right? Many organizations, I think, across the different end markets, you know, leaders across the board are trying to get ahead of the curve, right? That's part of what we do. Uh, and sometimes I find that we wait too, too late uh, or we wait for a while to get everybody ready. And I think if you wait for everyone to be ready, you sometimes will miss the opportunity. So it's, it's finding that balance between uh, starting some of the efforts and initiatives uh, about embedding capabilities, you know, whether it's in your operations or whether it's uh, you know, for commercial use cases, and then having the appetite and the willingness to kind of test, learn, and scale over a period of time, as opposed to trying to scale it from the day one situation, because there's a lot of learning in the journey. Uh, and I'll pause there, but I think that's that's one of the key things I've learned and, and advice that I've received from both people like James, Shan, and others when it comes to innovation. Yeah, no, great insights. Thank you. Uh, thank you, James. Thank you, Shan. I mean, both now have gone on to uh, big, big board work, doing other things to uh, impact uh, our, our profession and many different companies. And uh, good stuff. I love what you just said. Be willing to be criticized before recognized, and that is that uh, goes against some of our DNA, right? So uh, great, great advice. I'd love to have you talk more about the digital innovation journey because people are talking about it a lot. Um, I think few are actually having success. Maybe we can kind of get to some of the tactics. How you maybe even get into how you shifted budget and the spend. Maybe how you leverage the startup community, things that you're doing to really drive that innovative culture and the success you're having? Yeah, thanks for the question. So the, before I get into that, you know, maybe let's set the context uh, before we get into the question specifically. 
I think in terms of digital innovation, I often look for you know good frameworks that we can take advantage of. We don't need to invent something and we can borrow a best practice. Let's do it. So you now we talked about James's book and there's another person that comes to mind, Peter Weil from uh, MIT Scissor. He's a chair of the Scissor department. Peter's published some really thought-provoking, important work in this space around how should technology budgets be allocated. And then he's benchmarked companies by industry to give you what the competitive advantage could look like. I won't get through you know, his entire uh, research, but I think people can look him up and find MIT Scissor. But uh, one of my key takeaways from it is the importance of having a objective approach to investing in you know, uh, customer experiences, and really creating an integrated experience for customers over a period of time. We are on that journey, we're not there yet, but uh, that's, that's a framework that's helped us both shift spend on your question, Dan, from run to build. So we measure spend on run to build. We also, again, look at our spend against uh, the MIT Scissor framework. And that helps us in allocating spend and driving efficiencies on the back end so you can invest on commercial capabilities, you can invest on operational capabilities. And the three priorities we focus on, you know, in over time, create great customer, but also employee experience, and to unpack those new business models. Uh, but the three capabilities we focus on is really around, number one, it's business resiliency. So we have three priorities for the function. Number one is around business resiliency, and think of that in terms of cybersecurity, think of that in terms of um, your ability to respond and recover quickly. Uh, secondly, think about uh, scaling the business, right? Through common systems, common data, because if you get that right, then a lot of capabilities, including uh, you know, a lot of focus on Gen AI and large language models these days, it accelerates that journey. And I think finally, number three is around creating uh, you know, digital, uh, experiences for both your operations and your customers. So again, number one, business resiliency. Number two, it's about business scale through common systems, common data. Um, and then number three, it's really around embedding digital customer experience, uh, but also digital operational experience. So we often call it digitization. And so those are the three areas we look at in terms of spend. We also look at it in terms of objectives and key results. So. You know, another uh, book that I highly recommend is Measure What Matters. Um, and I think that, you know, that book really unpacks, uh, John Doerr really unpacks, you know, how to set goals, objectives that are tied to business results, that are tied to clear whys and outcome orientation. And I think that practice to gain framework has really helped us to align our goals and objectives to drive operational efficiency in the tech budget and to invest it in capabilities like e-commerce. We've doubled e-commerce uh, revenue for the company in the last few years. If I look at it pre-COVID, where we're at today, we're roughly around $600 million of revenue coming through those channels. And what's more important is not the revenue, is the fact that it's, uh, it's more profitable uh, because it's, it's sticky, it's lower cost to serve, uh, another metric would be, you know, from a business resiliency perspective, is obviously this scores, but it's also cloud compute. So you have resiliency where your data is, you have resiliency in terms of being able to recover. I think the days then of expecting that, uh, you know, you're going to focus on protect and detect only are long, long gone, as we all know. And so part of it is, uh, and I think this is a competitive advantage for companies over time, is your ability to respond and recover effectively on the business resiliency side. So 
those are some of the thoughts that come to mind, Dan. But again, I'll uh, index with having great frameworks because they help you uh, anchor your investment thesis. And in this case, you know, I'll, I'll call out Peter Weil. Yeah, I love those three lenses and the call for Peter, the book, Measure What Matters, uh, great resources. And, and uh, you know, you've talked a bunch about uh, the customer, getting close to the customer. I think it just goes back to your P&L way of thinking and uh, so valuable. At the same time, you're helping the company make a shift, right? In terms of kind of business models, uh, product, product based or service base. Um, talk more about that, if you would, Amir. Yeah, so a couple of things that you know that I, I think of in terms of business model, and just building off the last conversation we had, and uh, Peter uh, Peter's framework touches on this as well. By the way, the other person that comes to mind, and um, every now and then, you know, he has both uh, writing and podcast materials is John Chambers, uh, the one and only John Chambers from Cisco. Uh, and if I remember correctly, John's you know stated in the past that uh, tied to your question around business models, that forty percent of S and P five hundred know, won't exist in the next 10 years, uh, predominantly driven because of business model changes. And so it's a really important topic. Um, and what we're doing is a couple of things. One, we're on that journey. We're not there. We're embedding insights into our products, like we discussed in, you know, in the prior uh, section here around connected packaging and other packaging solutions. The second thing we're doing is we're also looking at strengthening our customer experience through the uh, e-commerce channels that we discussed. But ultimately what it is about is it's getting closer to the customer so you can learn some of these new solutions that we're bringing to the market effectively. So I touched on machinery earlier, Dan, but we have this machinery business, which often will help our customers package their product at high speeds, uh, may sit at the end of the fulfillment line. Um, you know, it could be for beverage, it could be for, uh, uh, it could be for a lot of other end market products, electronics, industrial goods, and so on. And it's a really unique capability that the company has. Why am I bringing it up in the light of business models? So one of the things we've been doing is using our in embedding the ability to have IoT and connectivity on the package within the machine. So if a customer buys one of our machines, we're starting to add capabilities where you can actually embed those insights or that capability for the insights on the package at the customer uh, point. Now we're also embedding those capabilities within our own production facilities so that we can do it at the point of production of the package itself. So we're, we're looking at it from both ends over time. But uh, I think so that is the integrated view. But I think the second thing is really, um, it's, it's iterating with the customer at a high velocity and a high speed. So one of the things that David, you know, my boss or CEO, he's been very supportive, uh, in fact, he moved the commercial digital business model, business development team, right, for specifically for commercial digital activities. It's a small team, senior, experienced uh, leaders who've been in the business for a long time. And he moved that team over to our, our digital team. And I think part of what that's done is it's, it's focused around tightening that linkage that we're talking about here between our commercial uh, you know, colleagues across the company, our sales and marketing colleagues, and allowing our product management team together with our BD team to engage with our customers at a higher clip and create a stronger velocity so we can learn faster, iterate faster to meet some of those customer needs from a product mindset perspective. And again, we're on that journey and you know, we're, uh, we're, we're not there yet. We're, we're certainly very much committed and we're on that journey. But I think what I'll leave you with is, it's a statement I said earlier, which is what can be connected, you know, will be connected 
And so embedding those insights and then being able to pull that data so we can offer those insights to customers, I think is the key over, over the foreseeable future. That's impressive. You know, big shout out to David, you know, for that, having that kind of vision and, and uh, you know, so many folks, so many folks in your, in your chair today are struggling with getting the C-suite, uh, their boss, their peers around the digital table. And, uh, you know, how do you, you know, go, take us back a few years. How do you sell the vision? You know, I think we struggle with that in our profession. We're not, we're not that good at it, Amir. So in terms of selling the vision, I think what's important is not necessarily selling the whole vision. And remember, you know, as Bob Johansson and many other uh, well-known thought leaders have talked about, it's seeking uh, clarity over certainty, right? And where you have clarity on what the potential end state of, let's say, a new product could look like, it's having a vision around those premises uh, key market shifts that are happening, for example, right, with IoT and the connectivity and everything that can be connected will be connected. So you have, I think there's a level of clarity there, right? Is there certainty on exactly every single end product that needs that level of capability? Uh, as, our, as the example we discussed earlier with the Internet of Packaging and our connected packaging solutions for every end market, uh, potentially over time, right? Having uh, clear, detailed, um, defined for every single end market especially when we started the journey, would be potentially premature. And so I think that's what part of the vision is. And then also, you know, helping to be clear around what value you're trying to create for the business and for the customer, right? Helping to be clear around flexibility that will be allowed in that learning journey to make that product market fit possible. Um, and helping to be clear on the outcome orientation for the stakeholders that are involved. So. That's the way I look at it in terms of selling the vision. Uh, and it should be one that's inspiring and it's bold, right? Uh, depending on what you're trying to do. Even if it's for things that may seem foundational or rudimentary, um, I think there's so many changes that have happened in terms of technology trends. And the key is getting some of those trends right, right? You're not gonna get every single trend right, but you've gotta encompass some of these key market shifts that are happening and tech trends that are shifting whether it's going to the cloud, whether it's uh, the adoption of AI capabilities, right? We see these trends uh, every, you know, so many years, and it's about encompassing those trends and then creating flexibility and achieving the vision uh, so that you can incorporate them and give your team flexibility, uh, but inspire that journey and achieve those outcomes over time. Mm, so good. Um... You know, we talk, every time we talk, Amir, you talk about your team. Um, you are probably the biggest fan of your folks and uh, biggest supporter. And you'd be very upset with me if I didn't bring this up. So I, that's why I'm doing it. And award-winning team, you you yourself just was, were recognized with the Georgia Orby Award. So congratulations again for, for that. And I know you deflect all the, the credit to your team. I was at the CSO 50 awards a couple months back when John Gift uh, accepted that on behalf of uh, the organization. So talk about your team, the, the journey they've been on, the um, how they have impacted all the success that you've talked about. Yeah, the award genuinely is a reflection of, of the team. It's the, it's the team that I have the privilege of directly leading and it's the team that we get to partner with, right? Because they ultimately are the backbone of, of uh, really 
uh, helping us drive the impact on the commercial side, operational side uh, with our employees. And so I think it's a couple of things, right? One is um, we talk about uh, building trust and collaboration within the organization and having shared OKRs. Uh, we are a team that we spend a meaningful amount of time debating, discussing what are our key OKRs. Not every single objective key result, but the key ones at the functional level that align with their business strategy. And as my staff will, you know, every year will spend time before a new fiscal year to really reflect on what did we learn from the past year? Are we A, being aggressive enough, right? Uh, are we being uh, in, in, inspiring the team in terms of setting those clear OKRs? Uh, and we'll discuss those OKRs. I think the other thing is that it's also, you know, a couple of key leadership principles around you have to be able to both, you know, meet and exceed goals, but you also have to be able to inspire the team. Um, and that expectation by having uh, team members and leaders from different backgrounds. So if I look at the leadership team, you know, the, and I think that's partly a recognition of the two awards you just mentioned, we have leaders from all types of backgrounds and different industries and different experiences, leaders that have both been promoted from within the company, but also leaders that have come from everything from, you know, uh, companies that are in CPG spaces, to companies that are in industrial spaces, to manufacturing, uh, to even aerospace. And so I think it's the background of experience. It's the focus around collaboration. It's the focus around really having a team win mindset and then setting clarity around what are the goals and objectives that really matter and not getting into prescribing exactly the details of the how and letting the teams that are in, that we as a leadership team have a privilege of leading within the technology digital function, giving them flexibility on how they get to those outcomes uh, as they learn through their journey. I think it's all those pieces coming together that, that help. Um, and I'd be remiss, I mean, this it's thanks to this leadership team that I have the privilege of leading in terms of the collaboration and uh, engagement score. So it's something measurable. We as a company measure engagement scores like many companies, right? And I'm proud we have some of the strongest engagement scores and, and, and this team, it's a direct reflection of this team. Uh, and the last thing I'll say, it's also continuous recognition of small wins along the way, right? We often forget those uh, and, and we, or we just go fly right by them and we go on to the next thing. And that's something as we started this during COVID, Dan, and it's turned into a good practice. We'll have, you know, we'll have our monthly operating reviews with my leadership team and we'll have a dedicated uh, uh, portion of it to really focus on just teams videoing in or Zoom videoing in colleagues and peers from around the world and recognizing on something that happened recently and just celebrating them together as a leadership team. I think small things like that go a long ways. Yeah, well, special team, big shout out to them. Uh, and I know just great, great. Uh, I think their best work is still ahead. You know, as much as you've all accomplished, uh, the best work is still ahead. I know they're energized, they're charged, and uh, ready to run through that next wall. So um, one of the, the the things we love to do on the show, as you know, Amir, is I like to unpack those those isms, those Amir-isms, those expressions that you use. And I've got a few. I'd like to do a lightning round with a few of them. So I want to get a, a bunch of these in. You talked earlier, never heard this before, but be willing to be criticized before recognized. That's that's an example of one. But you've got one that's probably goes back to your PL experience, but it's uh it's highlighted in the acronym BLUF, B-L-U-F. So I want to call your bluff, Amir. What does that mean? 
Yeah, bottom line up front. So it's the essence of what we're discussing and, you know, being really clear about the why it's relevant, the impact. And and the credit really for this one goes to, again, it's uh, my days at Lockheed. And I actually think it may originate from the military, if I remember correctly. Uh, and and so that's that's what it is. It's bottom line up front. It's the essence of what we're discussing. So if you have a few moments, you're able to clearly distill what is it that we're trying to achieve or what is it you're trying to update? What decision are you trying to make or what are you trying to inform? And what's the impact, right? Again, tying to those business results, those goals and objectives we discussed earlier. Such good teaching right there. I mean, I mean, and our presentations, our thinking, our vision, our strategy, our planning, it's just so good. Another one that probably gets to uh, why you're so effective at, at selling the vision, communicating the vision. And you talk a lot about provide the context before the content. Yeah, so it's it's setting the why to a great extent, right? Why are we about to get into this conversation or about to get into this journey? And it's just an enabling, you know, mindset around uh, helping to bring people along. Um, and I think it just level sets everyone on the common context mm. before to potentially the how, the what, the when, and so on. I love it. Uh, I need to be better at that. Um... When you say respond, don't react. I mean, intuitively, I get that, but what's the difference? What's what's embedded there? Sometimes it's just pausing and reflecting, right, on what just happened, good or sometimes not something so good, right? Uh, something that is a learning opportunity. And it goes back to the mindset discussion that we had earlier, Dan, and it's about um, just thinking with a bit of a, you know, growth mindset, figures of principles, and that's a key tenant in terms of building a team that can trust each other, that's collaborative, uh, and that responds, right? To things that are anticipated, things that may not be anticipated instead of reacting to them. Um, but I think it can, it can help in, in everything from something small not going so well to an interaction that you didn't anticipate, right? Um, and it's just thinking for a moment as opposed to reacting and ideally responding based on plans that you may already have in place or what your, um, you know, how you're going to think differently based on the feedback you're receiving and change and again, adjust course accordingly. Right. I think this next and last one really probably gets to some of the foundational reasons why your organization, your team is so impactful, so successful. Um, and you talk about, don't confuse efforts with results. Talk, talk about that, Amir. Yeah, so, you know, in, in a world where I think uh, people are busy, uh, there's a lot of uh, focus on sometimes, I think we uh, individually get focused on activities. And it goes back to the book that I mentioned, Measure What Matters, around uh, OKRs. I think that's just an example of what exactly is, the result that we're trying to achieve. And did we achieve that result or not? Let's be objective about it. And then what can we learn from that journey that we can then strengthen our, you know, uh, our goals and objectives accordingly as we move forward. And look, it's really important to recognize effort. And I want to be, uh, I want to make sure that I'm clear about that. And you, you want to motivate the teams along the journey and you want to distill those learnings uh, across the organization, ideally quickly and not learn the same thing multiple times from a growth mindset perspective. And you want to encourage that as opposed to discourage it because there will be learnings throughout the journey. But I think it's also important to not then mix 
uh, activity or efforts that may or may not achieve the end results. And it's just important to, to hold that accountability uh, around result orientation at the same time while you're recognizing the effort. Such good wisdom. Uh, you know, we've got one more mystery question, but I, before we go there, uh, I want to wrap up with that question. Um, you know, you and I are both big believers that this profession has been really good to us. And in turn, we, we, we like to give back. We want to, we want to help the next generation. And, you know, we do the tech for good. We have the, the, the scholarship to our, our IT leadership development program, TechLX. And so, as you know, on the show, we like to give our guests the ability to gift a seat in that program. Uh, we do that to the tune of $150,000 commitment every year. So do you have somebody in mind, Amir, that you'd like to gift a scholarship in TechLX to? So first of all, Dan, thanks for doing this. I think that it's a great way of giving back um, and talk about STEM, right? In terms of the program that you just mentioned. Um, I would like to I would like to give this opportunity to Girl Scouts. So I have the privilege of being on the board of uh, our Georgia Girl Scouts uh, chapter here. And you know, they do some great work. Um, we often talk about, uh, you know, you and I were talking about Girl Scout cookies before we started the recording. And, you know, I think that when it comes to STEM and really helping uh, young girls, um, you know, through the journey, giving them exposure to different things such as sciences, technology programs, um, I think that this program that you've put in place can really help in that regard. And we'll, we'll uh, discuss offline and offer it to uh, one of our colleagues at the Girl Scouts here. I love it. I love it. You've been on the board. You're very active, giving you your time. and. Um... I know you want to get uh, get our future women involved early in this field, get them excited about the opportunities, and um, and just for the audience, uh, Amir has two sons. I'm just I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I just yeah. I need to make that that point made, but um, that's fantastic. We will definitely work with you offline to get them plugged in. And and uh, but I got to ask the question, Amir. Favorite Girl Scout cookie? I mean, that's 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 an important question of the day, right here. <laughs> it's just for look, we like the mint thins, we like the Samoas, we've got probably boxes of both of them upstairs. Uh, but those would be the ones that come to mind. And I, I'd be remiss, like, look, you know, regarding the sons, yes, I have two sons, but uh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for especially two women in my life. Uh, my mother, who always encouraged us to tinker with things when we were younger, even when we had very humble beginnings as a first generation uh, immigrant family. Uh, to my wife, who's been my best friend and partner throughout my journey and wouldn't be here without her. So, yeah, I think, uh, and we remind our sons of that as well. But Awesome. Great job, Dad. Great teaching. And, uh, you know, on that note, let's wrap it up here. We do have a third mystery questioner. And listen in and see if you recognize uh, this, this person. Amir, if you were heading into college right now, what major would you choose? And why would you choose that major? That is Abraham. We just talked about my sons. That's our older one. He's actually getting ready for uh, for college. So incredibly proud of uh, our son Abraham. Uh, you know, we talk about purpose-driven mindset. We're working. He's he's on that journey uh, from you know being involved with nonprofits to his love for volleyball, and now he's deciding colleges. So that question is very timely, and it's a discussion we're having around the dinner table. Often he's uh, a few months away from you know applying and then deciding where he goes uh, next uh, summer next fall. Uh, what I would say on that question is, 
uh, it's a balance about aligning your passion, right, to contributing to the world. Um, personally, we talked about STEM, you know, including arts. I think it offers a great balance. Um, I personally was lucky to go to a liberal arts college. Yeah, I was not sure that with you, but I think that uh, played a big role in terms of, you know, the way I think. And in hindsight, studying philosophy, studying arts, in addition to computer science. So my major was computer science and I did a minor in political science slash international affairs. But I think it's important to understand the value of versatility, right? Balancing the theoretical and the practical skills, especially in this world of, right, uh, where AI capabilities are becoming more mainstream in our daily personal lives, the interdisciplinary opportunities from the major, right? And it, we all know this, but the major doesn't define your entire career to starting point. And ultimately it's the skills we develop, such as communications, critical thinking, adaptability that are key to, in addition to the subject itself. And I think the finally, what I would say to uh, Abraham is, you know, and, and people that are kids that are thinking about majors is just stay open to change. Interesting goals can evolve and that's okay. Because a lot of what we discussed on the podcast even today, it's about the continuous lifelong learning journey. And this is the beginning. Yeah, so good. Thank you, Abraham. And uh, bright, bright future. We've talked about him often and uh, can't wait to see what's next for him, where he lands next year and what comes out of that. But I mean, this has been a blast. The time flew by. I just can't believe how fast the time went. And, um, you know, the good news is uh, for the folks, we're going to we're going to continue chatting and we're going to publish a blog next week on CO.com. So uh, I'd like to double click on something you started to talk about earlier around business resiliency. And I wanna unpack your perspectives around how you personally build resilience, how you build it in your team, your company, your culture, even in your security posture, you know, building resiliency there. So I think we've got a lot of fun things to talk about, but I mean, thanks so much. You've got a lot going on. Uh, really appreciate you and hear about your journey and uh, thanks for making the, make this happen today. Dan, thank you so much for having us and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. And thank you again. I'm Mir Kazmi, Chief Information and Digital Officer for West Rock Corporation. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolet and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.